Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Roundup with Matt and Maddie. Ah, yes. Welcome to the New Look Monday morning where one mat is clearly never enough. You're tuning in on SEN 1170 AM Sydney. Welcome on SEN Q 693 AM Brizzy. SEN 1620 AM on the Gold Coast. We've got all bases covered, including wherever you're tuning in on the app. That's right. Mornings with Matt White has procreated, germinated, generated, replicated. We have spawned another mat on a Monday. Matty Johns joins us each Monday for the Roundup. Hello, Matty. Mr. White. How are you? I'm good. Did you recognise the theme music? Was that the Don Lane show? No. Okay. It was the two Ronnies. Oh, was it? <laughs> it was part of the two Ronnies because I love we thought we were the Ronnies. two mats, right? So there's a bit of delineation going. There's there's two mats. I get called Matty. You're always yep. called Matty. Yes. So Matt and Matty, Matt and Matt. Which yep. way do we want to go? I'll call you Mr. White. You can call me Mr. Johns. How about that? That's very formal of those, you. Those combinations, the old British combinations, geez, I love that. The two Ronnies, Hale and Pace. Yeah. Don't know if you could do them now. I saw a YouTube of that Hale and Pace. Slightly inappropriate. Yeah. But funny. I got stuck in a bar one night with Hale and Pace at the Siebel. Did um, you? Yeah. And, and I had Mervyn Hughes with me. Oh, wow. So you reckon that didn't end poorly. Wow. Uh, there was green weird drinks going on, so it didn't end at all. How was your off-season, mate? You're back in, back in the country? Off-season was good. I'm, I must say, when you have a, a, a decent break, it is hard to get back into it, uh, move the chains. It, I was laying in bed this morning. Just thinking to myself, oh, Jesus Christ, Ooh, here we go again. <laughs> uh, but, no, it's good to be back. It, it, and, look, when Hutchie said, you know, how about you know, going to two days a week? I was doing it before with Vossie and Brandy. You know, yeah, okay, no worries. So what day, Wednesday? Mate, Wednesday, there's not a lot to talk about on Wednesday. Monday, there's lots to talk about because as far as rugby league, the games have been played, there's been a few controversies. And then the other day I do Friday. And the reason I do Friday is everyone's in a good mood on a Friday. Mm. Easy to do a Friday. Yeah. As soon as 12 o'clock hits, you know what you do. Well, it's easy to talk about what may happen on a Friday, but now you have to talk about what did happen when we get in on a Monday. Yeah. And that's already been happening. The season hasn't even started. Plenty going on, Matty. Always, mm. always is. All right. So what do you think the roundup is? Oh, here's what I reckon. I reckon it's our take on the world of sport. Heavy focus on footy. We'll do some analysis. We'll look at the issues. We like the human side of sport as well. So we'll both dive into that. So a bit of psychology, a little bit of weirdness around it, a little bit of matspiration coming your way. Try and make sense of it all. Is that a fair snapshot? That's a fair snapshot. All right. Fair snapshot. Let's see how it rolls Entertainment. In. Matt, we're in the entertainment industry. <laughs> exactly. 0457 736 736 is the text to 1300 01 1170. What could possibly go wrong? What's ahead on today's roundup? Well, here's the lineup for the roundup. Latrell Mitchell and Jack Whiten arrested after a wrestle gone wrong outside a Canberra nightclub. Five years ago, Jack was partying after his 25th birthday, ended up in a blue, got arrested. On his 30th birthday, ended up in a blue, got arrested with his, in inverted commas, brothers. Brothers never fight in public, Matty. 
Liam and Noel, Matthew and Andrew. <laughs> uh, myself and Andrew have had a few stinks. Ours generally happened about, and we didn't need to wait till two or three o'clock in the morning. No, Ours no. happened well before midnight. People always used to say, nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah. When I was in my 20s, my philosophy was nothing good happens after 6 a.m. And then by every four or five years, we went nothing good after 5 a.m. Yeah. 4 a.m., 3. And now when you pass your 50s, you go, nothing good happens after 9 p.m. <laughs> because generally you're having that nana nap. You go to sleep. I, 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 went, I was just away. And honestly, I said to my wife, it's pathetic. Like we're both going to bed at 8 o'clock. Yeah. It's a great world out there in New York mm. City and you're snoring at 8 o'clock. Yeah. But that's how you get old, you know. Fabulous. I suppose. The state of the CBA negotiations. So while you've been on the other side of the world, they're trying to get into – um, the deep detail of what's been going on, and it's fairly heavy. So I've been pretty strong on this, and from what I'm seeing from the outside, you've been in these kind of negotiations. It's a turning point for the game. We'll cover that. The All-Stars match in New Zealand this Saturday is an interesting one. More players pulling out. Nelson Asifas Solomon has done the old being bitten by my dog trick. Um, so he's, he's got a dog bite, can't play. It leads me to ask the bigger question, does it go ahead and should it go ahead and where's the state of this game? Jackson Hastings is somebody you've done a bit of work with and spoken to at length. And also his dad, his famous dad, Kevin Horry Hastings from back in the day at the Roosters. Well, Jackson's opened up about his relationship with his famous footy dad and we'll touch on that. Chock Mundine, Matty, mm-hmm. has admitted money goes under the table or used to go under the table in the world of rugby league. I, don't, I do not believe that. I, I find that very, very hard to believe. Shock and awe. Shock and awe. But it was back in Super League days. So this is around the Brisbane time. Of when course, he... it would never happen now. <laughs> um, Spud's back too. Spud's back at the Seagulls. Awesome. Um, Mark Carroll is back. So we've got some good fun to have. When we think about the world of Spudley, Harry Garside, an interesting one across the weekend. He's stepping out of the ring for a bit and stepping into the jungle for I'm a Celebrity. And you know what? Johnny Lewis isn't happy. Now, what I know about boxing in Australia is if Johnny Lewis ain't happy, then you're probably doing the wrong thing. And also this morning, we're going to touch on the Netflix effect in sport, especially off the back of Drive to Survive in Formula One, which has turned their fortunes around, especially in America. And Daniel Ricciardo is in the news in more ways than one. So there's a fair bit on the menu this morning for the roundup. So let's get it going, Matty. Luttrell and Jack White and arrested. Front page news, the wrestle gone wrong. First question for me was what the? Second question was, is this a big story? And the third question I'll get to in just a sec is where this sits in the state of the game with two leading players out there making front page news for all the wrong reasons when they're trying to negotiate with the with the game itself well two things it, it's a big story because it's Latrell and Jack uh, guys with big profiles um, look my information is that the event itself the wrestle was not a big deal it was not serious however if you've got people standing by just normal civilians watching two blokes the size of Latrell and Jack have a wrestle. You put the hard hat on because you don't want one of them, one of them falling on top of you, you know. Like, so if someone's watched it, said, "Here's these two two guys, you know, getting into it." I'm going to call the police. Police turned up, and as we you know, we, we saw what happened there, they wouldn't move on. Um, it's going to go to the courts. More, we'll find out more there. It's it's as I said before, like 
the thing about it is, and I don't want to sound like one of those old fogies going, boys, what were you doing out at 3.45? But because, mate, I've been there. It took me a long time. It took me a long time, and I'm talking a long time after retirement, to actually fully understand the thing where you say, mate, when you go, when you're there at that time of the night, there's a lot of landmines. Mm. And it's not just you. You know, you could be out at 3 a.m. in the morning, out in a pub, Mate, you, you might be sober. You might have had two or three drinks. You might be in a good mood. You're causing no trouble. But everyone around you, everyone around you is full as a gook as well. And that's what I mean. There's, there are landmines out there, and particularly for footballers. And um, You know, so those two, they are absolutely great mates. My understanding was they were in the cells and then they let them out and they went back to Jack's place and had breakfast together. <laughs> so that just that, – that shows – you know, where, where they are. There is no problem between those two blokes. Doing it at that time of the morning, having a wrestle. You know, boys, just go home and have a wrestle. Yeah. What do you then say? I mean, these aren't young blokes. They've been around a while. Yeah. They've all seen the, the good headlines and the bad headlines. And like yeah. I said, you you know, I still remember when the news came out that you and Joey were, were having a blue in the middle of Newcastle after a night on the drink. And I That was thought, just one of them. That was one of them. <laughs> I, I thought to myself at the time, like, Seriously, could you not have picked a bigger, mm. a bigger place to do it under the biggest spotlight you could find yep. in your hometown, outside the Delaney Pub? Went down to what the cricketers, so yeah. you went a f- you, yeah. stumbled down to the cricketers and continued going. there. That was around fifteen down you there. Kept going. So at some stage in the middle of that, mm. a, a common mind or a common sense mind would say, "You got to think to yourself, we need to stop this." But the common sense mind doesn't operate. So it's a difficult one to say to a Jack White and a Latrell Mitchell, fine, don't go out and blow out on the on the public on the sidewalk mm. or roll around because it's dumb and it's going to make headlines. Yep. Very difficult to say that when you're in the middle of it, you've had a, a skinful. So well, how do you try and balance that act? Well, a bit of storytelling. I'll, I'll talk about how Al Blue happened. So Joey, I'm going to, look, I'm going to State the obvious. He could be a real pain in the ass. He could be fairly acerbic at training. So we're doing a training session. He was in a mood, throwing balls at guys' ankles, and yelling at him when they dropped it. And it was the last game before, last training session before the Christmas break. So that night, we were going to go to a you know, restaurant, all the you know the partners, de facto's, girlfriends, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, the boys afterwards said, "Mate, can you just make something up so that your brother doesn't come? We've had a gutful." I said, "Absolutely." So I went to Joe, rang Joey, and said, "It's all, it's off." It's been cancelled. And he said, yeah, I, I didn't want to go anyway. So anyway, that night he's walking down Derby Street, he said, with Delaney, and he's looked in. We're all having dinner. So we double-crossed him. Anyway, he, he starts he starts punching. This just shows you the mentality of the bloke. He starts punching the front of the restaurant, the glass right. And this is a nice, quiet Vietnamese restaurant, lands there on Derby Street. I think he's still there. Very nice. And uh, everyone's staring. And he's yelling awful things at me. None of them true, by the way. And I, I am not adopted. And uh, so anyway, he, he took off. He, he was with all these dead shit mates, birds of a feather. Anyway, so they walk, go down to the cricketers and I go, you know, I, I stumble down there. I said, no, I, I can't let him get away with this. My wife follows me. And I walk in. He's at the bar with all these dropkick mates. And um, he goes, oh, here he is. So I said, mate, if you want it, let's go outside and settle this. So what what happened? I walked outside and I was a little nervous. I've never had a victory in my life. Mm. When he came out, he was stumbling all over the place. I thought he was just drunk, but Trish had hit him over the head with a handbag on the way out. <laughs> so I just went left, right, left and dropped him and just then hailed a taxi and got out of there. Two days later, Buzz calls and goes, mate, I'm, look, I'm, I'm hearing a story. Did you? Buzz, it didn't happen. 
mate, no, no, listen, mate, I don't like it when people lie to me. I know it happened. And I just kept an eye on it. Ultimately, I said, Buzz, tell me what you heard happen. He said, mate, you gave him a flogging. I said, Luke, you got me. Got it me. did happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like and we were. And for background, Buzz, just uh, let me give you another half an hour or so of information <laughs> off the record. So two things I learned out of that. Number one is you don't fight in public. And number two is is if you're going to have a fight in public, do it with Andrew Johns because he cannot fight. <laughs> and take your misses with you. Look, put the serious spin on it, though, for yep. us, because we are in the middle of a fairly decent blue itself between the players and the game. Yes. And these are two leading players in the game. Now, it's a completely separate issue, mm. and to be honest, it shouldn't arrive at the negotiating table. Mm. But the fact of the matter is that you've got two very, very big personalities in the game at the time when the players are pushing as hard as they can mm. for their own rights and their own terms and conditions. Yes. How does that play out? Well, the really the really important thing for the players to understand is that if they legitimately want to be partners of the game, then that sort of stuff's got to be in the past. You know, that that that's that's the thing about it. Peter Landis and Andrew, like t- this morning, Clint might speak to those guys, and that you know the boy, the players just want to be partners in the game, and and Peter Vlandy's appointed that, and we'll say, yeah, but what what about this, you know? So yeah, there's a number, of, there's a number of things. Look, Matty, the the bottom line is, as as I said before, like it was, it was, they were play wrestling. It wasn't ser- it wasn't serious. They weren't trying to bash the crap out of each other, and no one from the public was involved as such, but. Profile, time of the morning, mm. mate, get, get in a taxi, go home and wrestle. And, and really, I mean, in the scheme of things, if you want to aspire to a Johns v. Johns in Newcastle, for instance, yes, I mean, that that's yes. okay. That's sort of good level. But top level, Ginjal v. Packer oh, at Bondi. I mean, that's... Yes. and that's Two kittens wrestling in the street. <laughs> <laughs> With daggy tracksuit pants on as well. That's the kind of level that you've got to go to. You don't just yeah. have a little scuffle and a wrestle. You've got to take it full bore. Yes, it. Uh, yeah, look. I, I, as I said before, it's going to go to the courts. We'll find out more there. Mm. On the surface, it's it's not a huge deal because it wasn't serious. But it, it is. A, it's a, it. But it's a big story because it's Jack and it's Latrell. Can you see any movement in the All Stars match on that front? My understanding is Latrell is uh, he's going to the All Star game. It remains to be seen whether he play. My gut feel is he will play. I think I think it's really uh, the the game itself is is just uh, so important for cultural reasons, and Latrell's got to be a part of that. I think he will play. A lot of people disagree and say no, he should be stood down. He shouldn't. I think he'll play. Whole stack of players are pulling out. As I mentioned, Nelson Asafa Solomon has been yep. bitten by one of his uh, one of his horde of dogs that he's got there. I think he's got yeah. Siberian Huskies and Staffy yes. Terriers, but I think it was the Dashhound that did the did the trick. Got him. So somehow got to his hand uh, mm. instead of his ankle. But that look, dog did what a lot of defenders can't do. <laughs> bring him down. <laughs> bring him down. Exactly. Um, but look, yeah. Josh Adokar last week said, "I, I can't play." I'm pulling out. And you just touched on it, Matty. You just touched on it. The cultural importance of this mm-hmm. match is for the players involved and for what it does for the game and what it does for the Indigenous um, representation of it on our side, the Maori side as well, is super important. So when does the, this get to a level of 
the game's becoming less important than what it stands for or vice versa. Well, it's funny, Matt, you say that because this morning as we speak, the NFL All-Star game is taking place over in the States. Now, this was a feature game of the year. They always played... Yeah, you know, where the NFL have their final, uh, their semi-final, as such as we call it, they have a week off, then they play again to make sure the two sides are fresh and ready to go. In that week in between, they have the All Star game, and it, as I said before, it was once a once a feature game because it was treated seriously, and it was an opportunity to to have the best players and prove some of them that we are the best of the best. But it, year by year, it's it's sort of just deteriorated to the point that today. They've got two captains, which are Eli Manning and Peyton Manning, who are well-retired, and the game is flag football. Mm. Right? It's become touch football. This, this is the problem. If, if we really believe this game is – if this game is so important, which it is, you cannot allow the coaches and the clubs to destroy it because they do it often. Like, remember – like, I still have the World Sevens. As a study, what a way to start the season. But, you know, players – a couple of players were getting injured so that it got destroyed. And nines – same thing. Yep. We've just got to be careful it doesn't happen here. Scheduling-wise, should you do it off the back of a World Cup expecting players that have been at a World Cup and going the distance, which is more yeah. than likely the way with those that are going to represent this Saturday, should you look at the scheduling, especially now knowing that we've got three buys this year? Yeah. There's more open windows. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You have to speak to the, the, the player themselves is best probably to answer that. Um I don't know, we, like, if you don't play this time of the year, Matt, I don't know where you play it because the split round, the players are looking for a bit of a breather. They get over their bumps and bruises, freshen up a little bit. I think this is the time to play it. But once again, I think the importance of the fixture um, sort of over, overrides everything else. And, and once again, I come back to the fact that you cannot allow the clubs to destroy the, the fixture. Did you catch any of the BBL? Because um, you would have been travelling for most of the back end. God, there's a lot of cricket. It's on. it's pretty hard to miss. It's, I mean, there were sixty I, odd games, mate. Every week there's a World Cup in cricket. <laughs> I just, I honestly cannot keep up with it. It's just like, so you've got the ODI World Cup, the 2020 World Cup, something other World Cup. I just go, I can't keep up with this. And there is so much cricket being played, and the Australian squad is so big that I was listening to the radio this morning and said, this guy, oh mate, you know, Josh Hazelwood, Achilles injury, and they're looking to put this guy. In. I've, I'm sorry. I've, I've, Never heard of the bloke. You know, I mean, like, and I was watching the Alan Border documentary on on Fox, which is oh awesome. man, how it, it was just incredible. But it shows you, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say deterioration of cricket. I, I think, like, that just showed you in that that eighties into the nineties, that golden age of Australian cricket and world cricket, those great West Indian sides, but the great characters in the Australian side. Mm. It's just, you know, Merv and Warney and yeah, right. It was just, uh, it was, it was, it was so good. So I didn't catch a lot of it. I, I caught, you know, here and there, a lot of sixes hit. Um, I but, oftentimes think with the bats these days, imagine what Bradman could have done with that bat. Well, Bradman didn't like hitting the ball in the air at all. He, his, his whole philosophy was you can't get caught if you're hitting it along the ground. So yeah. I also wonder, I, I was watching a BBL match the other week when Steve Smith was teeing off and I actually thought of that. I thought, I wonder mm. what Bradman would think of this game watching it because yeah. it's completely different. It goes against almost everything that he stood for technically yep. in the game, yet he would have to appreciate the fact that technology's yeah. brought them this way and the skill level's gone with it. There'd be certain players looking at the moment going, man... Um, what I could have done that game, like Viv Richards, oh, how good he would have been. The late David Hooks, how good Hooks he would have been. That format. And look, the thing about it is, um, 
kids these days, bloody kids these days, wrestling at the front of nightclubs and that. But kids these days, the short attention span, the immediacy. Like I, I said, well, I remember taking my young bloke Jack. It was Australia versus West Indies Test match, and uh, he was only a young tack. And I took him down the MCG. Said this is going to be something. So we get in there, we flew all the way down, we went to the ground, we got an hour and a half early, we're sitting there and I, he's having a pie, I'm having a beer. And uh, he's going, Dad, what are you drinking? It's 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's that late. <laughs> it's midnight somewhere. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we get there and they're batting. Bowler, Australian bowler comes in, the first ball, Glenn McGrath bounces and he turns to me and says, how much longer to go? <laughs> Just six said, more beers, son. I said, son, about 100 hours. <laughs> that, that, and that's what the BBL's for. It's for, for the younger kids, the short attention spans, the people who want to watch the sixes and the fours. But it sort of gets to the point for people that have gone through the, the cricket in that 80s, 80s and 90s, sixes were something special. It was like back in the day when goal kickers would kick the ball from the sideline and people would mm. go, wow. Well, now they go, he missed it? Yeah. Happens every day. Well, there's no doubt about it. Cricket got the BBL effect. We're going to talk this morning about the Netflix effect in sport. And Daniel Ricciardo's in the news right in the middle of that for a whole bunch of reasons, including the fact that when he was re-announced, remember he's returned to Red Bull, he wasn't announced as Daniel Ricciardo. They announced him as Daniel Ricciardo, which was a bit of a problem at the time. Thankfully, Dan's got a good sense of humour. Perth Scorchers beat the Brisbane Heat, by the way, as we know, on Saturday night in BBL. We're underway for the roundup. Come and join us, 0457 736 736, or give us a call, 1300 01 1170. Yes, it is the roundup, our first edition of uh, 2023. Matty Johns is back from an overseas trip, back off the uh, back of the off season and straight into it. And the footy hasn't even started, but we've got arrests, we've got all-star matches, and we currently don't have a salary cap. Are you worried about that? Well, we've got a salary cap, just hasn't been ticked off. Well, it concerns me the very fact that we're about to play our trial games this week, and doesn't that come around quickly? And there's still that threat of a uh, strike. It's a really fine line, Matty. We were talking about this before. You know, the players and everyone. It's it's a fine line. Um, do you want to talk? We're going to talk about it now. Do you want to talk about it or hold off? A we can bit? talk about the CBA because I really yeah. want your opinions yeah. on that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But right, okay. uh, good after tease. the good news, tease. good tease. <laughs> after the news, we're going to go into the sporting personalities and the human side of sport and the Netflix effect as well. And just to throw into that mix, mm. Spud Carroll, because there's a chat that we need to have. Thank you, Vanessa. This is the Roundup. Matty White, Matty Johns with you now from a Monday morning, 9 till 11 every Monday as the footy season, of course, gets into full swing. But we're digging through some of the big issues around the world at the moment. One of the biggest at Brookvale mm-hmm. is not so much the return of or the input of uh, one Anthony Seabold, Shane Flanagan, Jim Dimmick. I mean, there's a range of superstars down there. Team Mestroff now running the show is Spud Carroll. Mark Spud Carroll is back in the fold. And it's interesting because he's close mates with Desi and he defended Desi after all that went down. Yet Spud is manly through and through, obviously, um, as part of his career. And now he's back there. He's having his guy, He's having the guys come to the gym and he's really taking a leading role and trying to toughen up, Matty. Yeah. I, I love Spud. Played with Spud um, a, a number of times. Terrific fella. So passionate. He actually goes down to the dressing room. New, he commentates New South, New South Wales Cup. And he goes down in the dressing room before the game and identifies a couple of players and sets targets for them. He's done it a couple of times to my young bloke. My young bloke hates it. He goes, oh, he's come down. So I've got to run 200 metres. It's too much. I said, yeah, but you play well. He sets, 
He sort of he sets um, a certain standard for him. Yeah. When Regan Campbell Gillard was going through a really difficult time at, at Penrith, and he was coming off that bad injury, Spud was going down all the time down the sheds and going, "Mate, have a look at the size here." He used to put him up against the against the wall in the dressing room. So he's he's really passionate. A story about Pud, a quick one about Spud. We went away to the '95 World Cup. First time I played with Spud, right? So he had this shocking toe injury, right? It's the most hor- one of the worst pain killing. Um, episodes I've seen where the, the doctor, Nathan Gibbs, used to inject Spud with the tanker on his at his big toe at the top down oh. and Spud would scream. Now, for Spud to get pumped up and get his adrenaline up to get to get that uh, painkiller, he'd actually demolish the dressing room. So he'd go there and he'd tear hinges off walls, he'd headbutt things, he'd push guys over, he'd yell at people, then get the injection. And then, okay, everyone put things – everyone would put the dressing room back together again – and then you get the two-minute siren. Right up, two minutes Australia to you on. And he demolished the dressing room again. <laughs> we used to call him the double demolisher. <laughs> Mate, you should try commentating footy with him in a studio like this. I mean, it's it's one thing. He's, he's a great fellow. The aftershave stuff. The 75 aftershave. squirts a day. I know. I mean, fair dinkum. He gave me some of his and gave me third-degree burns. <laughs> it was so bad. And the, the old suck the worms out of the grass. He loves that one. Loves that one. I love it too when he mispronounces words because he's such a lovely bloke and such a damn big bloke, you don't want to pull him up on it, right? No. So you just let him go and the word just comes out wrong, which leads us to Daniel yep. Ricciardo, who's back, like I said, at the Red Bull Fold. Now, they do these big uh, season launches. Mostly they're online these days, but I've done plenty of them. They do the big launches they introduce, and it's all very lighthearted. Um, But it is very Formula One. There was a Spanish lady who was in charge of proceedings here, and this is how it unfolded for Dan. Welcome back. Eight-time Grand Prix winner and one of the friendliest drivers in the F1 grid, Daniel Ricciardo, to Oracle Red Bull Racing. (laughs) I I don't think that's politically correct these days. (laughs) How do you come back from that? I mean, where where do you go to next? I like it. He's such a well-humoured, likeable guy. I listened to him in podcasts with Smartless, right? And it's with uh, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, a couple of other guys. And he was on, they got him on. Man, he's just so good, so charismatic. Doesn't take himself too serious. Like, I think he, he's the sort of guy that Australia, it's how Australians like their sports stars. I totally agree. I've witnessed him firsthand throughout his Formula One career. And the funny thing is about Daniel Ricciardo, and to, a, to another extent, this was Mark Webber's great strength too, Mark comes across as a lovely guy and, and a very down-to-earth kind of guy, but underneath there's a fighter in there and underneath is the hardest of hard workers. Michael Schumacher loved Mark Webber because he worked as hard as Schumacher did. Loved him for that. And Daniel Ricciardo's got that X factor about him when it comes to hardness and toughness. Yep. But he's got the personality that nobody, I think, has brought to Formula One. Well, James Hunt, of course, back in the days, yep. but we're talking the, the sterilised world of Formula One. This is Dan Ricciardo on Stephen Colbert. Have a listen to this. To what do you attribute this explosion of, of uh, popularity now in, in the States? I was going to say something serious, but I think ultimately it's probably my good looks. Yeah. Uh, I, think I mean, that's pretty serious. <laughs> well, he's got a serious smile and he knows it, right? He, yeah. he knows. And weirdly enough, there's actual truth in that. There's, there's, Maddie, there's truth in yes. that, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing: that when it all came down, that he that he got the wristle from McLaren, and I was looking at the options for Daniel, and one option was to sit the whole thing out. 
Another option was to do what he did, which is keep half a foot in, but stay out of the pressure. Mm -hmm. And the other option was to go to Haas, which is an American-owned team run by Gunter Steiner. He is ready-made for an American team that is desperate to keep pushing because they're making ground like never before in the world of sport. Off the back of Netflix and off the back of Dan, he's the closest thing that you're going to get to the perfect American driver out of Australia. Matty, you nailed it. The net, the Netflix special on on the uh, the F1 has been incredibly important and so good for that sport because what it's done, it's humanised the sport, right? Suddenly, you're seeing the human side of the drivers. They've got their helmets off. You, you see the ca- the charisma. You see their backstories, everything like that. And and really importantly, it's it takes the it takes the onus off the billionaire owners and the big engines. It actually because that sport is about it is about the the human side of the game. It's it's understanding the personality, understanding the characters. We've seen that before. When people understand the characters in the game then they fall in love with it. There's a couple of examples. Individuals who have transcended their sport or taken it to another stratosphere. Jonah Lamu, right, with rugby. Mm. Um, I mean, Palais, when when they took soccer to America, Palais was at the forefront of that. Uh, there's numerous, I mean, the obvious one, Michael Jordan in basketball, mm. where suddenly the NBA came this mega sport, not just in America, but around the world. And when Jordan retired... You remember in Australia, there was a sort of short period there until the emergence of guys like Kobe and that as superstars. There was a short period where it almost disappeared from the landscape in Australia. You know, you know, firstly, it was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird retiring. Then you had Michael Jordan going and it took a while for... Well, Shaq you know, was next. Then you had Shaq that came along and then suddenly you get guys like LeBron and Iverson that come along. It is understanding the personality, the human side of the sport. There's an interesting side, I think, too, about the Netflix effect is that people think it can happen everywhere. Mm-hmm. So every sport in the world's doing it. Now, I watched the first episode of Breakpoint, the, the, uh, the tennis one, and I, I would give it like a D plus in terms of yeah, trying right. to achieve the Netflix effect yeah, because it was interesting But, hey, did you really learn anything about Nick Kyrgios? Did you really have the curtain pulled back? And one of the keys on drive to survive and the keys to its success, and this is why I reckon it's unique, and a lot of sports don't get this. They all think that they can do it. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why it worked in Formula One is Formula One lived behind a curtain in all facets. They weren't allowed on social media. Bernie Eccleston controlled everything, where you could walk, where you could stand, what you could see, what you could say. You did not know anything about anyone. And this is coming from somebody who had an all-access areas pass mm. for a long time, and, and I still couldn't see a lot of stuff. Yep. So when they pulled back the curtain on Formula One, there was a whole stack of stuff that we learned about the game itself, yes. the people in it, the industry itself, the drivers, the cars, everything, yep. all this stuff that you didn't know. Yes. So to my, to my way of thinking is it's all right to say let's do a, a Drive to Survive Netflix um, show on say tennis most people understand the game of tennis most people know what a game and a match of tennis is of course. so you don't have to educate them mm. a lot of people don't know and didn't know about formula one so you're educating them along the way plus you're adding the personalities so i think when you go looking for the magic dust mm. and supercars is trying to do it but supercars have had the mm. curtain pulled back football we know everything mm. well i wonder what you're going to get out of a Netflix effect doco, which has been on the radar for a while, out of State of Origin. Yeah. What what don't yes. we really understand or don't yeah. we know about State of Origin? Well, uh, television is just so mega important to bringing out that human element, right? And, and 
But an example I use is um, the effect that, that Rupert Murdoch and Beast Guy B taking over English soccer, the effect that ha- that had on English so- soccer, taking it from the old Division One to the Premier League. And I, I interviewed David Hill recently, who was at the forefront of revolutionising that, the Australian, Novocastrian. And he was discussing, but also there's a book out at the moment, I think it's called... Um, Premier Fever or some words to that effect, and it talks about the transition from the from the old Division One to the Premier League. And they described that the old Division One in its final days is they went and had a look at a, a game, and they said it was a he said it was increasingly become a slum sport, and he said played in slum stadiums, and he said the other thing they turned up at the game, and he said they saw no women in the stadiums. They said, which said it all. English soccer were in the boat. They, they were out, kicked out of Europe. It was really, hooliganism was wild. They cleaned that up. They did the stadiums up. And importantly, they just changed the way they broadcast it. One of the things they did, rather than just have about three or four or five cameras in the ground and just shooting the long shot, suddenly they had 30 cameras and they're doing the close-ups, right? Now, you didn't need to do that for people to know, you know, back in the day who George Best or Palais or guys are. But for the people who were, who were the hard-working professional, suddenly everybody knew who they were. And they said before, it beca- when it was in the old Division One, most players could walk down Piccadilly in the street. No one knew who they were. But suddenly the emergence of the Premier League and the close-up shots, everything changed mm-hmm. as far as that sport. And if you look at the EPL now, it's, I, I, it's only second to the NFL as far as what players get paid. It's just a monolithic beast. Now they don't have to walk down Piccadilly. They can just fly over it in their own helicopters and look down on the great masses. Well, but I'm, David Hill, the, the godfather essentially of wide yeah. water sports in this country and, and an absolute innovator. And you're right. It's at the end of the day, what do the TV cameras do in that, mm. in that part? Back to your point, they bring in the they personalities. Bring. It just amazes me, the EPL, the money that's come into it, how, how quickly it continues to grow. I, I remember the period when it was about the third league. It was Serie A first. You had La Liga, yeah. and then you had Bundesliga and sort of EPL just fighting it out at third until it's – and now it's just emerged, emerged, emerged. And, you know, I remember when the Brazilian Ronaldo, when he went to Barcelona from – when they, they bought him from PSV Eindhoven, and it was the world record, 16 million pounds. Everyone went, wow. Now there's guys every single week going for 120 million pounds. Good, hardworking pros going for 60 million pounds. Mm. And the Messi-Ronaldo thing, it's just, it's it's mind-blowing. Mm. It's the effect, uh, however you get it. And right now it's the Netflix effect. This is the roundup. We're going to chat about Jackson Hastings after this. It is Matty Johns uh, joining us as of this Monday morning. So this is the drill, folks. Every two hours, Monday morning, off the back of the brekkie programs, it will be myself and M. Johns with the roundup, and we'll be digging into footy. Rooster Man, welcome back, Matty. Love you two together. By the way, how is Cooper going at Manly yeah. preseason? Cooper's good. Cooper's good. We don't really talk football in the house unless um, unless our rule is leave it, leave it at the front door. They want any advice, which they never do they ring their uncle for that um but we just we keep it quiet the only thing he said was i said how's training going and he said uh after christmas after the break it's been really really good early on of course with manly you had anthony seabold still over in the uk mm. so you had you had jimmy dimmick and flano they were training the side but at the time they weren't really putting their principles and their attack and whatnot in place but 
I believe after the after the Christmas break, they're, they're going really well. Another player at a new club, Jackson Hastings. So the, the deal's there, done and dusted, and he's up at Newcastle. But an interesting chat that he's had with James Graham on the Buy Round podcast and speaking about the relationship with his dad, Horry. So obviously, you know, those who remember Kevin Hastings throughout the Roosters era, late 70s into the 80s, was an absolute genius of the game. But they were essentially estranged. His dad mm. remarried and moved to the USA, and he's spoken about how tough and traumatic that was for him, um, how he'd sleep at night and cry himself to sleep thinking, I wish my mum and dad were together. That's not yes. foreign to a lot of people. But in Jackson Hastings' case, it's obviously played on his mind and played into his career as a footballer. And his father, Kevin, of course, is a high-profile guy. And that's because I, imagine, I, I can only imagine with all that pain and angst sitting inside Jackson, but everywhere we went, people had said, how's your dad going? He has to go through it all again. I I, re, I really like Jackson. Look, you know, oftentimes you know, everyone has their quirks and their personalities, right? I, I play with guys who are hard work, right? I live with one who is hard work. He, he used to lay on the bottom bunk, right? But enough of him. But I'll play with guys who are hard work. But you bend and you adapt. Um, I think I think he'll be really, really good for Newcastle because he's got a lot of confidence and Newcastle is very much in his sweet spot. He goes very good at underachieving sides and sides that need somebody. Like when he, what he did at Salford was almost unprecedented. Going there with a side that was in most seasons finished in the bottom two and took him to um, yeah, took him to the grand final was – he got Man of Steel both seasons. He was a revelation, did good things at Wigan as well. It's it's very interesting. As I said off the top, I, I, I really like him. I've had a bit to do with him. When he was a young guy who just about to come into first grade, he came over to my place. We did a training session. And then we just went back to my joint and we sat and, you know, I was just sitting. I said, want a glass of water? Yeah, sweet, mate. So we're sitting there and he just spoke for about an hour and a half. I actually had to make something up that I had something on to get him out of the house. Because, I'm not kidding. but But he really opened up about sort of his life and what he's gone through. And I asked him, because I, I, I'd heard he was, that the, that the older players thought he was arrogant. And I asked him, I said, oh, how do you get on with your teammates? And straight away he understood what I was, was asking. And he said, Matty, I'm a young guy that's coming to this side and I'm playing alongside blokes like Sonny Bill Williams, who are my heroes. He said, a lot of the, he said, a lot of the arrogance that he said, it's just a mask. I get that. Mm. I, but I, I think I, I like the kid. He's been through a lot. And, it's, you know, people will read that. I interviewed him last year on the show and he spoke about his dad. And I've got to say, as a father, it was uncomfortable to listen to. Um, but, you know, that's 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 what, what his life has been. And, you know, Unless you have been through that, you've really got no idea. Yeah, he said, I respect what my father did in the game, but we're just not close as father and son. We don't talk often in real life. He was never there. And that's the circumstances, like I say, that happen in a lot of family households. A quick one on Lockie Miller. So that yeah. swap deal done. How do you think he goes there? I think, look, I'm hoping. I think he'll do very, very well. Um, at Newcastle, they're training really hard. I, I, was, I had real fears about Newcastle last year. I saw them worryingly as a, a, a bottom four side. That's where they ended up. This year, I'm a lot more optimistic. I think they'll go up into the mid-table. All right, make sure you stick around. The roundup continues after this. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into the CBA negotiations and also Harry Garside. It is on the text line. Pedro says, M&M's, you know the season's almost here when you hear Matty Johns' voice. So we're starting to have footy withdrawals. Um, well, what are we? Less than 30 days to go. Yeah, well, this week, it starts this weekend. I'll be on Fox. They're broadcasting all the trial games. It was a revelation. As far as ratings last year went through the roof.
I, I totally agree. And it gave importance to the games, didn't it? it did. That's the weird thing. I actually don't think, I said this last week, I don't think you need a pre-season competition with 100 grand on offer. It's a nominal figure anyway. Yeah. Because the importance that it gave to the games was broadcasting and treating it like a, yes. a normal, natural, everyday round game. So, yeah, the season certainly starts Thursday night. Tigers v Warriors, first match of the pre-season challenge. We're going to chat the CBA. Anthony Mundine's revelations that, guess what, folks? In rugby league, there was cash going under the table. I know, I know, but we'll chat about that. And Harry Garside, where's he going? What's he doing? He's going to the jungle. Stick around. It is the Monday morning roundup. Thanks for joining us. Uh, coming up in this hour, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the CBA negotiations, where they're at, Matty Johns' take on it. Chuck Mundine has admitted to money being paid under the table. It happened when he was at the Broncos. Harry Garside is stepping out of the ring and into the jungle for I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, which, funnily enough, Chuck has also done as well. But Johnny Lewis is not happy about that. And don't forget... Coming up on the morning show, so from 11 through to 12 or 10 through to 11 for our Queensland listeners, a special interview with Eddie Jones. Now back at the helm, the second coming of Eddie as Wallabies coach. Here's a couple of things that Eddie's had to say to me um, as we sat down and went head to head on on coaching the NRL because that was a possibility. Does it remain a possibility for somebody who's done a five-year deal with the Wallabies? For me, it was, but I don't know for them, mate. <laughs> uh, look, you know, we've had a couple of cursory chats to various sorts of people, but, you know, it'd be a big punch for them. Um, but I'd still love to do it, mate. Who knows? I was brought up in La Perouse, which is probably the spiritual home of the Rabbitohs. You know, some of their greatest players came from that area, big Aboriginal population. And I grew up playing rugby league. And, you know, I remember with my dad, uh, we used to go and watch South play at the Sydney Cricket Ground. We watched the three grades, you know, they'd kick off at 12 o'clock. The competition's got so much better since then. And, you know, the, the game you see of NRL now, if you... If you it's a fantastic game, and imagine coaching coaching in that tough competition. That head-to-head interview with Eddie Jones is coming up uh, in our next hour once we wrap up the roundup. But there's a clear passion and love, Matty, from Eddie for NRL, and I get the feeling if if the Wallabies, if Rugby Australia didn't pounce once the English let him go, he would be somewhere in the NRL. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a great passion, as you said before. Great passion for uh, South Sydney. Carl Morris at the Broncos, um, if anything, like I'm fingers crossed for Kevy this year. I hope he goes well. But I actually, I, I, Carl Morris is a rugby union man. And I was watching watching the Broncos think to myself, mm, I wonder if they considered bumping Eddie. But he, it, like, great stuff. I'm actually catching up with Eddie tomorrow. Mm. For lunch? No, we're going to discuss receding hairlines. Uh, but I, I, I catch up with him a little bit. Like a uh, number of, when he was coaching England, I was over for a mate's um, uh, a mate's um, I was going to say funeral, uh, a wedding up, up north, and he said, "Mate, can you come through London? We'll catch up and have a bit of a talk about things in a rugby league attack that are applicable to rugby union." Anyway, I said, "Mate, we're going to catch up," and he said, "Mate, there's a there's a pub in London called the Buckingham Palace Hotel, right?" Well, bugger me, I said, oh. anyway, I'm joking around. He thought I was making, uh, I'm sorry, I was serious. I sent him a text. I said, mate, I'm just getting off the plane. I'm just wearing tracksuit pants and that. Is that okay? He thought I was joking. said, laughed and went, yeah, mate, no worries. And they've got two years new on tap as well. I was jet lagged and went, oh, okay, fantastic. Turned up with tracksuit pants, everyone else in top hat and tails. <laughs> uh, that chat with Eddie Jones coming up. I also uh, posed the question to him as to which NRL player he would like 
if he could get one. And I'll tease it. He, he did go down a modern-day player, but he also went down the one that they missed, the biggest one that they missed, which was your brother. Let's get into the CBA negotiation. So where do you think this is at, Matty, and where do you think it's going to end? Because I, I think this is crunch time now. We're, we're less yeah. than a month away. As you say, the preseason's already about to get underway. Something's got to give. Matty, this is, this is really tough. The, the players and everybody... Uh, walks a tightrope with this because players should players deserve to get what they can because NRL stands for not real long right and the other thing is the price you pay physically and other factors that are involved so I, I I'm completely with the players as far as you know their slice of the pie on the other side of the coin I always do believe that you, you should leave a little bit in the well for the next generation if that makes sense and I always think about blokes like you know, Ray Price and Brett Kenny, who honestly, some of the greatest players of all time that played for not a real lot. Um, so it's very, very difficult. It, it, it's, I can, they're butting heads because Peter Volandis is a guy who won't be bullied. I just wonder if they can't come to the agreement if the players will actually strike. I'm not sure about it. That doesn't do anyone any favours. Uh, we went through a Super League era where the players were painted as being greedy and there was a disconnection with the fans. You know, and... and, and I remember during that era, Matty, was – do you remember the playing cards yep. made a re-emergence? Mm. And that, they came out – they re-emerged about 1993 and the Super League war happened and, yeah, you know, they were trying to monetize everything and a lot of the players came out and said, hey, listen, when – with the playing cards, don't sign them. We'll do them as a group and then divvy up the money. And I, I – I rejected that because, I mean, what are you doing? You finish a game, you, you know, and you walk out of the dressing room and there's a little kid there, six-year-old with a playing card. What do you say? No, mate, can't do that. We're going to uh, pool our money together. Yeah, so that's just an example of you, you've, just got to, you've just got to be really careful because regardless of the money that comes into rugby league, at the essence of rugby league is it's a working men's game. Have the players, do you think, lost – the publicity war in this one and how much do you think the publicity war plays into what happens in the negotiating room? Well, people don't read the fine print, Matt. You know, that's that's the thing. All people are hearing is uh, they are – because there is so much that has been going on that I think it's been – as you said, it's been lost. We're like, okay, so where are we at the moment? What what are they after? What, what's been given? Did it get increased to 12.1? Didn't it? Okay, what's happening with the NRLW? Where Where is it? And so it's been, it's been difficult. It's, I always talk to people. I was talking to a couple of young guys about that they were going in to negotiate something and totally away from sport. And they asked, you know, because you, know, you go in there and um, I had a singer looking after me, but a lot of times when I do my stuff, I just do it myself now. you just got to have the hide to ask for more than you're worth. And if they say yes, then beauty. But you don't go into a negotiation hoping to win 100 nil. You've got to work out the things that are non-negotiable, that are really important to you, and then you just write down a few things that aren't important at all and let them have a little victory, right? That's much easier. But I don't know where it's actually at. Are they losing uh, the publicity battle? Possibly. If they can – there is so much excitement about the season. If they can come if – if they can work it out, it will all be forgotten very, very quickly. But you don't want to strike. Give me your understanding then on how the game operates – from uh, from a player level, from a club signing level, from, um, say, your young bloke going to a new club and trying to get a deal done there when there isn't a salary cap that's been ratified. Last week, 
Liam Martin signed an extension with the Panthers and the Panthers CEO came out and said, we're looking forward to further discussions because it was only the one year and we're looking forward to further discussions now that mm. the salary cap has been ratified. I double-checked. It hasn't been ratified. Mm. It's one part of this CBA negotiation. So how does that actually work? And is there is there a, a fault process that may be down the track here that if you're starting to do deals based on a number that you think is going to happen, then it gets yeah. nasty in that room and that number backtracks. Yes. You can't go to a player and say, we, we told you we're going to give you 500. Yes. We're now giving you 400 because the salary cap's now 12, not 12.1. My younger bloke was so excited when he heard the news that the cap was going up 25%. And I said, well, mate, that's fantastic. What do you get an extra 150 bucks even what you're on? But, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's – you're right, Matt. It's it's really hard. You, you've got to be really careful with these things as far as assumptions are concerned. And a lot of clubs do. They assume it's going to go up like this, so they promise players things behind the scenes. And if it doesn't happen, then, yeah, it's going to be a lot of broken hearts. Do you think that they should put strike action on the table in terms of at least a threat? Not at least a threat or perhaps mm. a threat because – Essentially, at the end of the day, this is the way I view it. The negotiations are heavy. The NRL got the front foot by putting those numbers out there. There's a lot more at stake, like you point out, the detail, the terms and conditions of what they're really fighting for here, plus yep. the money's a key factor. What's in the back pocket yeah. of the players? What's the last card that they can draw? Oh, uh, that's that. That's it, Matty. When it comes to negotiation, the most important thing, if you want it your way, is leverage. And unfortunately for the players, I had a think about this the other day, I you know, I, I'm sort of thinking, is it only strike action? Is that the only thing? I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the leverage is. Maybe it could be a little thing, where, you know, something where they go in and say, okay, we want this, but I'll tell you what, we'll do this for the game. Right? If you, if, if, so a little bit of to and fro there. As I said before, you can't go in and want to win 100 nil. It'll get sorted out one way or another. If they, if if the All Star game, Scotty mm. Sattler last week said on this network that he he didn't think the All Star game was going ahead. And I've got to be honest, when Josh Adokar pulled out, the first thing we thought here because it happened while we were we were on air was, oh, hang on a second, is there a little bit more to this? If the All Star game didn't happen, if the preseason challenge didn't happen, and then that flowed in, if there is strike action in the NRL, how much damage does that do? You know what it does oh, broadcast yeah. wise and therefore money-wise. But how much damage does it do to the game? Well, the Super League War is an example. You know, apart from the split in the game, is that just the damage it did into the in the eyes of the fans? Because at the end of the day, rugby league comes from... Rugby league's... The core of rugby league, its, its birth, was out of tough coal miners and steel workers in the north of England, and it's still got those ideals. And people like... you know, I, I just don't think fans like to hear... They like to talk about, mate, how's this bloke going to go this year? They don't like to talk about, oh, geez, I hope are the player's going to get you know, another million dollars in their salary cap. That sort of stuff. As is, the, the, the human element of the game is what it should be about, not about dollars and figures, not, not publicly anyway. Yeah, and that's the detail, the devil in the detail, right? Yeah. And that's the stuff that should happen at the table. One more on this, the state of the women's game. It's supremely yes. important, and headquarters has made it supremely important. Yet it's in limbo, mate. It's not happening right now. There's nothing happening in that world aside from we want this, you might get that. This is the biggest concern, in my opinion. The women's game is, without a doubt, stating the obvious, it's got the most uh, potential for growth. It's had the most growth in the last two years. But really importantly, if you want to sell like, okay, I spoke before about the English Premier League. In the old Division One, you could count all the women in the stadium, right? Women... 
is a growth area in rugby league. And we've it's always been the eternal battle in rugby league. How do we get women into rugby league to want to watch the game and turn up and watch the game? It, mate, the days are gone where you get a good looking bloke and take his shirt off, right? And they go, oh, fantastic, go watch the game. The women's game has been a revelation. The standard of the game is just it, – it is fantastic. It is, it is so good. I'm being biased here. In my opinion, it's a lot better than the AFLW um, because the grounding. All these girls come through playing touch football and football in the young. They've got the skill set straight away. Mm. I, 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 and th- this, is, this is a real, a real concern of, this, of the women's game being in, in limbo. Women, when you talk about the game growing – Outside of the East Coast, the, the, in my opinion, it'll grow. The, the, the biggest thing is through the women's game because the women's game is so good that you'll have young women in Perth or Melbourne and Adelaide watching it and going, wow, how good is that? They start to get into the game inadvertently, bringing their boyfriends, husbands, and fathers and that into the game as well. The, not only... Should we be doing more with the NRLW but, and getting it on and, and trying to work out this agreement? I said to Peter Volandis last year, we need to do a Tina Turner-style commercial for the NRLW. And you broadcast it nationally and just put it on loop, spend money, so that those girls, young women in Melbourne, see that ad and just go, I want to play that game. That's good. That's sexy. Because women, young women are very different these days like you get there if you go to the pub and watch the UFC there's a lot of women there watching it and cheering on mm. like the, the women's UFC is, is a big draw card and and the rugby league should be the same through the NRLW I think the other part too is and you just touched on your AFLW for instance is that there's other competitors in the marketplace absolute genuine competitors and then put that into the sphere of okay if you're if you're a young girl who wants to play rugby league that's your passion at the moment and the, and you want to make some sort of career out of that and play it professionally. At the moment, right now, you don't have any options. Yeah. You, you know where the game is and, it, and it's growing. But at the moment, there's no contract. There's no money. Well, there's no pregnancy um, parameters around it. AFLW, whilst I agree with you, I, I don't think it's a superior mm. product to NRLW, yeah. but guess what? They've yeah. got the pathways. Yeah. They've got the salary caps. They've got all their negotiations. There's a pathway straight through rugby union. So if they're not going to – I just wonder how many female competitors who love playing the game of footy might start looking towards AFL because it's in our backyard and has been for yeah. ages, might start looking towards rugby union. Guess you yes. can end up with a gold medal. It's been a big step backwards concerning because last year I thought there was a, a game changer in the fact that the Newcastle Knights went out and poached Millie Boyle, gave her $100,000 and did amazing things for Newcastle. Newcastle win, win, the, win the NRLW competition. Uh, and you go, I, when that happened with Millie, I thought, okay, here we go. It's about to go to the next step. Uh, it hasn't. In limbo. The game is in limbo. 0457 736 736. That is our text line number or pick up the phone. Give us a call this morning on the roundup. 1300 01 1170. And on the text line, uh, g'day, Matt. Matt, can you do your own 3 2 1 on every game on Mondays? And who's had a bad game as well? I'll just talk about who had the bad game. <laughs> on a Monday, I'm very negative. <laughs> very negative Monday mornings. Uh, did you like the old rugby league, uh, rugby league week players' ratings? Remember those? Where they, we used to yes. do all out of 10? Yes. Mate, I tell you, when the Rugby League Week used to hit the front porch, you'd be out there having a look, see what they gave you. Yeah. A nine or an eight, seven, sometimes a five. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was, 
it was funny. It's, there's an old story right up about an old Manly legend. And not only was he playing for Manly first grade, but he was writing for Rugby League Week. And he used to do the player ratings as well on the Manly side. So he always gave – the players didn't know because he went under an alias – and he was always giving himself an eight or a nine and giving his fellow front rowers or his competitors like fives and sixes. Oh. And they were always whinging about, mate, who's this bloke? We find out we'll go and sort him out. Yeah. <laughs> Pinky printer. Go that way. Um, I remember Stur- it was hard to get a 10. I remember yes. as a young bloke, I remember Sterlow got a couple of 10s he did. along Ke- the way. Kevin Hastings got a 10. Harry Hastings. Paul yes. Taylor, I reckon, might have... Might have jagged a 10. Watched a game yesterday, an old game. Yeah. It was the best game of 86. They classed it. It was South Sydney versus Parramatta. Man, it was good. It was fantastic. Oh, mate, violent. Yeah. Holy cow. I was sitting there. I sometimes with my boys, because uh, the older bloke was back yesterday, and I'd, I'd call him in to say, have a look at this. And it was Bundy, Les Davidson, and uh, I think Mark Bugden going at it. Yeah. And Rabs yeah. is commentating going, oh, there's fists flying. <laughs> now they're headbutting each other. And it's just that, like young people watch it and go, my God, it was catch and kill. Mm. Whiten and Latrell are big units, but, hey, Davidson and Bugden, that's that's next level. You, you'd be calling the riot squad, not just the coppers. By the way, there is a media statement that's being put out, and it's a joint media statement. So this is an interesting one, Matty, um, from Latrell and Jack. For legal reasons, we cannot comment on the charges that are before the court at the moment. However, we wanted to express remorse for putting ourselves in the position to embarrass our clubs and the NRL over the weekend. There's a key line, I reckon. We were there to celebrate Jack's 30th with family and friends, and while everyone enjoyed a great night, we understand that our wrestle, as harmless as we believed it to be, Mm. this this is their statement, was a poor decision and may have looked bad. Um, We are sorry for this and know that we need to be better when in public. We remain great friends and are looking forward to proudly representing our community at All Stars Mm. this weekend. Yep. Trying to put it it to bed. I mean, we might be missing an opportunity here. Maybe we could put the ring up at halftime of the All-Star Games. Oh, I like it. um, Yeah, it's good. It's good they put that out. As as I said before, mate, it was was silly. They're remorseful about it. They're two big guys. That were that were wrestling at the front. I can see people looking at those two guys going and being alarmed. It'd be like, I mean, it'd be like going out the front of a pub and suddenly Gordon Tallis and Mal Meninga having a play wrestle. When blokes are that big, yeah. man, they're not play wrestling. It's not play. It ain't play. And and you're right. As harmless as we believed it to be is obviously what they think. But I think it's important too, given what we were speaking about with these negotiations underway, that they reference the fact that they've embarrassed the clubs yeah. and the NRL. So. In, in a sense, ticking all the boxes in the right way, and then it comes to the court. Just back on the on the old one to ten, yeah. what do you reckon is a perfect game? I mean, what's a perfect For what position? Well, a half? it's a good question. Play but let's maker. say a half. Let's say a playmaker. I mean, what what have you got to do? You reckon to get a modern day ten? Uh, first thing that comes to mind is your kicking, finding the right kick at the right time. Very importantly, you. you Talk to playmakers about this and you say the importance of the last kick, the last play. You can have the greatest attacking set in the world, but if you finish the set with a poor with a poor kick, it's a poor set. You could have a, an absolute bludger of a set where you don't know what you're doing, but you get that ball in your hands and you put it in the end goal and it's a great kick, it's a great set. So firstly, you get your kicking right. Of course, you're strong in defence. Steer the side around the park. Bit of clever playmaking. Um, but yeah, for, for, as I said before, if, if you're a playmaker... The, the, in my opinion, the first thing that comes to mind is your kicking game. 
or if you want a ten, just have somebody in your team doing the scores. That's yeah, do, doing the uh, doing the player exactly. ratings. You've just got to know who they are. Braden listening into us via the app in Perth. Good morning to you, mate. Says morning, Maddie and Maddie. Enjoy the new looking Monday show. Look forward to the roundup once the NRL season kicks off. Cheers, says Braden. Well, do you want to hear something petty? Thank just you for come, that. Do you want to yes. hear something really petty? It just came to my mind then. Was that I get a lot of games. In certain seasons, I can actually remember the game and remember what rating I got in Rugby League Week. And I remember we're playing Illawarra in 1998, and we played the first round. We beat Norse, and I got a nine, right? And I was like, wow, mate, I'm on the way to being the best player in the Johns household. Mm. Played the Warriors the next week, got a nine. I'm like, man, this is this could be my Dallium season. <laughs> the next week, we play Illawarra. The Laura Steelers down there at Wollongong, and we beat them. I play better again, and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, I might get a 10 this week. They gave me a 7. Anyway, it was on TV the other day, and I'm sitting there, how petty I am. I'm watching the game going, how could they give me a 7? <laughs> Look at that. That was brilliant. So what did you give yourself? A nine. Nine. Nine and a half. <laughs> and the Dally M that year. Uh, on the text line, do you think, guys, Treller and Jack get suspended compared to Payne Haas and Albert Kelly's two weeks for... Oh, yeah, the stepping on the sand shoe. The old stepping on the sand shoe. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, I, Yeah, yeah. I, 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 my wish is they, they don't. It's going to be put a fair bit of pressure on Andrew Abdale, the National Rugby League, because people will point back to that. You know, Albert Kelly and... And pain, step on the sand, shoe, a bit of pushing and shoving and yelling, and nothing. That was pretty harmless, but stood down for a couple of weeks. The, the, look, the Raiders and South will be very nervous. And I reckon this statement is a long way to getting on the front foot first. Gazza says perfect 10 means every kick, every kick has to be perfect, which is why you ended up with nines in your yeah, own mind anyway. That's true. That's <laughs> All true. right, here's the news. Thank you, Vanessa. This is the Roundup with Matt White. Matty Johns in the house every Monday morning. Chuck Mundine, Matty, has admitted mm. to money under the table. So cash is king for the man. Um, here's what he said. He said, I've got a hundred grand sign-on fee with Super League and then 350000 a season with the Broncos over three years. So remember he had that one year mm. at the Bronx. Then on top of that, they agreed to pay me an extra 100000 a year on the quiet. In fact, they gave me... Three lots of the hundred thousand in the first year. It was crazy, and then goes to say that he he um, bought his house with it and all that kind of stuff. So I, I hardly think that these revelations have sent uh, people falling off their chairs. That there was money going around. Having said that, I imagine, I imagine people at the Broncos at the time were going, "Oh, geez. well, no, <laughs> I, I'm dirty. I was never ever off even offered money under the table. I, I, I negotiated once with a club, and I sat there." And on the way to the meeting, I'm not going to kid you, I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm, they, they're going to offer me something under the table, just, you know, a little sweetener. So I'm sitting there and they're negotiating and they said, well, you know, three years at this money. And I go, well, that sounds okay. Silence. And he goes, yes, so three years and we might be able to do this. Well, that sounds great. Silence. And I'm waiting for the, and mate, you know, wink, wink, nose, nose, nose. It never came. Nothing. It never came, so I stayed at Newcastle. Were you, <laughs> <laughs> were you nodding under the table? Were you, were you giving yeah, a bit all of winking going on? You know, you're sort of sitting there going, yeah, well, great, great, great. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. How much How much did you hear mm. around your playing days that this was going on? Matty, in my playing days, there was only a certain portion of it where the salary cap was in. Um I remember early days in the nights and when I first joined him, late 80s, early 90s, 
I don't think there was a cap there. But, mate, there was not much money in the game. Do you, do you know when the Knights came into the competition for the first year in 1988, the total expenditure on players was 95000 And they pl- they signed Adrian Shelford from Wigan and gave him yeah. thirty. So you had 65 – because they just signed young guys and well, they put you on incentive. And I was talking to Jack about – Again, one of my young blokes about this the other day that, you know, when you're talking about the CBA and that sort of stuff, I said, I'll tell you how much times have changed. I signed in 1991, all right, a deal, five grand. And then as the season was about to start, they said, mate, things are a little tight. We're not going to, we don't think we'll pay for you. Is that okay? And I said, yeah, no worries. They said, but mate, if when you win, we'll give you $200 instead of $100. And I said, I just accepted that. Can you imagine these days if someone signed a deal, for 50 grand, say, for instance, the minimum contract, and they come up and said, you know, we've got to think about this. We're not going to mm. – we're just not going to give it to you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it – um, salary – when it when it came in, yeah, you always heard the stories, stuff like that. Uh, Newcastle were always on the breadline. It, it wasn't as far as, you know, the, the challenge wasn't increasing the cap or giving people more money or – it was simply – you know, it was just monetary. Um, always – the nights all the time. Whenever we went for a bit of a pay rise, they'd go, oh, no, mate, the debt. Yeah. We used to refer to it all the time, the debt. the debt. We used to sing the Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire, <laughs> but we used to sing, We Didn't Start the Debt. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the Super League war was on, it was a free-for-all. Uh, it was a free-for-all. And well, St. George Illawarra, Matty, I believe their first year, their expenditure in the Super League war was, I think, $14 million back in when they came together as a merge, it was 90 uh, coming out of, yeah, when the, mer- when the merger were happening, there was no salary cap mm. and it was basically catch and kill your own. I think it was $14 million. They just, clubs just were given all this money and rather than putting some in the bank, they just, we just typical rugby league. You just spend it all. <laughs> well, remember when the, when the super league war started and the shark, you know, you know how they were targeting clubs, obviously as a, as a whole and the sharks were over in WA Yep. So they went over to the Cronulla players and 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 hit them up at the casino. I mean, if there's a way that you're going to get to young players, here's yeah. a stack of money. You're at a casino, yes. and here's a sign-on fee. Yes, we don't care what you do with it. It's completely legal. Go for your life. And here's an advance going to hit on the pokies. Yeah, um, yeah. There's some there's some there's some very very funny stories during that time. I tell you one. So it's with Super League. It's just coming to my mind, right? Chris Anderson tells this story. This is a beauty. It says everything about how clubs work and. How yeah, you know, cloak and dagger it is. So they all got they they all got there, all the Super League clubs, and I think it was Wayne addressed them, and they said Wayne said, "Listen, you know, listen, fellas, I think what's really important for us is that it's got to be an equal competition across the board. We want to have a better competition, more equal one than the EARL. So let's make an agreement now that we don't poach each other each other's players." And they all went, "That's admirable. It's a mm. great idea." And at the time. Anthony Mundine had – Chock had left St. George and had gone originally to the Bulldogs. Mm. So I think he played a trial for the Bulldogs. Anyway, so they all worked out – left the meeting and said, that's a great idea, Wayne. And Wayne went and signed Anthony <laughs> Mundine. <laughs> uh, the old hook, line and sinker trick. And, of course, then there was – I remember Loz telling me that when, they, when the Canberra boys got all their – got all their checks, got all their sign-on bonus checks. I think they were all somewhere. And they, they gave it to the trainer who put it in a bag and he had it all there. They reckon he was the richest man in Canberra for oh, an afternoon because he had all the money. Well, when we negotiated, they said, listen, we're going to negotiate one by one and we absolutely don't want anyone to walk out and talk about money. So Jamie Ansco walked in first 
And we're watching him through this clear glass mirror and he's talking. We're trying to, like, what is he asking for? Anyway, we're on, and that's before Super League hit, I was on like 12,500. Joey was on seven. And we're sitting there, and like the figure's been a throw about. Where you just so they're, they're sitting there through this clear glass. We're at the bar having a beer because it is rugby league. And Anthony, and he walks out, Jamie Ains' car, and just goes, Mate, they've offered me 550. And you can see. <laughs> so straight away, I thought, Well, I was going to ask for 150, We're but right now. <laughs> give a guess another beer. Yeah. I shout. Uh, Harry Garside appears to be doing something for money that's a little bit interesting. Now, he's not the first bloke. And speaking of chalk, he's been there and done that. He's going to go into the jungle by all reports of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. So, look. There's there's two kind of kinds of people that do these reality shows. There's one that wants a career out of it, they want a job out of it, and the other one that just does it for money. And probably off that, there's another one that does it for both. So this isn't going to give Harry Garside a career. Mm. The only way I can think of this is that he's going to get money. And whatever he's going to get out of his next fight, they'll probably give it to him. The, the money's yeah. a little bit stupid for these kind of things. So... He's knocked back top billing on Foxtel's main event in his hometown of Melbourne for I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And Johnny Lewis isn't happy. So he said the ingredients for being a world champ and hard work are commitment. Are you committed if you're going into the jungle? And what did you think when you heard about this first up? Harry Garside, he's a, a champion guy. His personality, his story brings people to boxing. He is a humanitarian. He really is for things he does for people. But this is a real mistake. Because boxing is the engine is the engine for Harry. Boxing boxing gives him the voice to make an impact. And I remember Shaquille O'Neal once when Shaquille O'Neal entered the NBA as a young player and he had all these endorsement deals and everything going on. And you know, even midway through his career, he's doing the DJ and everything. But he always said that he always knew that the engine that drove the ship was basketball. And he had to get on the court and had to perform. And that's the thing. I mean, th- what an opportunity for Harry in his hometown on, on a big fight night when he's starting to climb climb the ladder, who's got the potential to be a world champion. It's I, I can't I cannot get my head around. I couldn't believe it when I read it. And it says everything that Johnny's walked away. Mm. I guess it it says I guess the biggest question what it really poses is what's the future for Harry Garside? You can go and do these things. You can mess around and have spiders crawl over you and get a couple of hundred thousand dollars because that's the reality of what's going to happen on the reality show. But where does that put his career thereafter? He's also talking about perhaps going back to being an amateur boxer and yes. fighting at Paris 2024. I saw that. That, that really surprised me. You know, but, and again, I come back to the fact because when you talk to Johnny Lewis, who knows a lot about potential world champions? They said, "Mate, this can win a world, this kid can win a world title." And then, and then this—it's uh, um—it re- really surprised me. And, and the fact that he's talking about going back to be an amateur, and it's a, it's an it's a funny time for boxing, Maddie, in, in the fact that these the exhibition fights like Jake Paul and you know Mayweather, mm. who's just a genius, is making just you know hundreds of millions of dollars on these Mickey Mouse. Fights. He's traveling to Japan and fighting kickboxers. Fought that the bloke that Jake Paul, Jake Paul's Paluka brother, and you know he just kept Mayweather just treated as a fast, which it was, and just kept walking up with his gloves up, hardly threw a punch, and let the other bloke just punch himself out, and it was declared a draw, and he just went away going, oh, mm. really? Yeah, and it, it it dilutes everything. Chock and Manny Pacquiao, PNG. I, I again, I read that. I did not know that was going on. 
Having said all that, I mean, they are two serious boxes. How hard they'll go, I don't know. I've got a lot more time for that than I have with reality stars and Instagram influencers want to get get in the ring to make a dollar. How many shows have you been asked to do? I reckon most of them. Dancing dancing with the stars, which you went on. Dancing on ice. Oh, my God. I can't explain. Like, fair dinkum. Um <laughs> So, Big so, brother. Hang on, let's tick him off. So, yeah. so Dancing with the Stars, which I did, was, was yep. cool fun. And it was, there was a whole, um, it was just fun. Yep. I, it was easy and fun. And Do they I, allow you to get drunk before the show? Because I, I can dance mate, when I'm drunk, but I'm very self-conscious. Dancers, let me tell you, yep. you go the distance there. They go hard. They're nuts. Awesome. Absolutely. Yep. So Dancing with Ice, I'm just thinking dancing, broken. Uh, d- I'm, uh, that dancing on ice, dance, not dancing, <laughs> not dance, not dancing with ice. I, I think someone else in my family was asked to do that. Um, uh, I'm thinking broken ankle. So what was the other one? Big brother. Big brother. That's just a whole lot of trouble, mate. Most most times, um, most years, I get asked to do uh, go into the jungle. Yeah, but I just I like what I like. Uh, I tell you, the show would have liked to go on when I was younger. I remember Man Oh Man. Yeah, you go that. <laughs> Mate, there was a bloke from Cessnock that went on Man Oh Man. And remember when they were rejected, the woman used to, the girl would push them into the pool and they'd do a backflip. Well, this palooka mate of mine from Cessnock tried to do a backflip into the water, hit his head on the edge of the pool. They had to stop the recording and take him to hospital. Uh, what about it's a knockout? Back in the day, you'd have Oh, hey, that'd have been good. How good with that? Mate, you learned all about Australia. Go, here they are from Frankston. Yeah. And then you go, okay, yeah. all these little places around here. Maybe there are other places in the world, Sydney and Newcastle <sighs> and Cessnock. What show wouldn't you do? 0457 736 736. Back after this. It is the Monday morning roundup. Don't forget, SEN is your home for Super Bowl 57. So, Jared Waitley, Ben Graham, Larry Fitzgerald Sr., live from Arizona. So, next Monday, Matty. Mm. We get a week off. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) You've just broken my momentum. No, I mean, I'm on fire. So I'm wondering whether they purposely did that. So what we'll do is we'll put them on the week before we know Super Bowl's on because if it's crap, then we just take it off and it doesn't come back. Yeah. So we've got to hope the Super Bowl's a flop. I've been been part of something like that. I remember doing the Channel 7 show and they signed me to a three-year deal. First year, 7.30. The next year they said, mate, we just love – the show yeah, yeah. we're thinking about putting it on 11 30 at night we think it could mm. said yeah good on you boys just pay me out <laughs> <laughs> sorry gotta go uh can someone please this on the text line can someone please remind me again what the nrl slapped mitchell pierce with for making a rude gesture to a dog well it was it was 50 grand wasn't it was it it was some stupid fee yeah, all those yeah expensive, expensive dog yeah expensive dog. yeah I, and, and what it was 125 that's what it was. Was it? 125. This is 2 a.m. Tommy giving me the information. And oh. eight games. I think it was 50,000 uh, and the rest suspended. Oh. I mean, either way, it was astronomical. But this is the thing. When something happens, right, yes. two blokes on the drink, having a birthday party, roll out, have a wrestle, it turns into cops come. And then they go, well, you try and marry that up against mm. a stupid fine that was given to Mitchell Pierce for – you know, no. on the drink with a dog. It, it, there is no I, such thing as an equilibrium. I remember watching some of the news reports going into – one of the free-to-air networks had the vision, right? And they were promoting the news saying, what you are about to see as a warning is one of the most sickening, disgusting things you've ever yeah. seen in your life. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, please, Mitchell, you didn't, did you? <laughs> oh, no. And then you looked at it and you went, oh, my God. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. And now, at the time, there were people saying, he won't recover from this. And now people look back and go, you know what? 
I mean, seriously. Yeah. yeah. But at the time, who was who was running the game then? Was David Gallup? Oh, it was Todd Greenberg. Todd Greenberg. It was Todd Greenberg. He, yeah. Yeah, he was around for a lot of those colourful things. But imagine we just every Monday you wake up and go, oh, it just hit me with it. Well, I think the problem <laughs> the problem is, and we sh- should, but we shouldn't laugh, is, you, okay, so in the legal profession, right, so I come to you and I go, I've just I've been in, a, in an incident. What do you think I get, mm. your worship? And you go, well, precedent says you did this, yeah. you get that. Yep. Precedent is writing a new page almost every time when you're the boss of the NRL. Yes. Oh, we haven't had that one before. Where, yes. where do we go to that on the list of yes. of atrocities? They're all new. 50,000 of that fine was suspended. I remember, right, I was always paranoid as a kid about going to jail. Too many movies. Yeah. <laughs> Good looks. You know. Anyway, um, so I got there once. I was 18, right? And, uh, Hang on, you got I, where? Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, went to the, I went to the pub in Cessnock. Anyway, I'm having, having a drink and uh, – it's around midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. Anyway, I, I got to go back in the pub. They won't let me back in. I'm dying to go to the toilet. So I found this alleyway. I thought I'll be fine here. Next minute, coppers got me. I had to go to court. Luckily, the prosecutor was an old teammate of mine. Oh. Right? But uh, the precedent was, he said, oh, mate, you could go to jail for this. And I said, what for having a squirt in an alleyway? And, mate, I lost sleep for hours. Eventually, they gave me 10 hours community service at, yeah. at Curry Sports Ground. So I was just practicing my goal kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, didn't give me enough. From little things, good things can come. Back after this to wrap it up on the roundup. You know what? Our first episode was so good. It's going to take a Super Bowl to stop us next week. Yes. That's what they've had to schedule, Super Bowl 57. But we will be back the week after and the week after that all the way through the footy season in particular. Can't wait for that to kick off. So we're going to finish today with a bit of Matspiration, right? We tossed around how we're going to, what we're going to call this show. The two mm. Matts, Matty and Matt, mm-hmm. um, Whitey, Johnsy. I mean, yep. we, we Johnsy just, Whitey. John, well, Whitey, <laughs> Johnsy. I mean, we can keep going on that one. <laughs> but, but what we ended up with was the roundup. But there are two Matts here. And we need some matspiration to finish. Not inspiration, we need matspiration. This comes off the back of Cooper Connolly at the BBL. So he goes out in his fourth game, which is the final, and he delivers. Mitchell Marsh said to him, I said before the game, if you get an opportunity, make sure you take the game on, enjoy yourself, and enjoy the crowd. He said, mate, I'll be there at the end with my arms up in the air. So you get one moment right now to deliver that kind of speech, that kind of matspiration. What have you got? <sighs> Matt, I'm really not good at inspiration. <laughs> I, I got to say this, I, I like um, I'm so good. I'm so bad with inspiration. Even one day I was getting married, it was like, "Will you take this?" And my wife went, mm, "Maybe." Uh, <laughs> and once Warren Ryan gave us a speech for a game, and he was talking about he was he was talking about the great Walter Lindrum with beards and everything. He talked about you know the mastery and Tamana Tahu leaned over and said. What's billiards? <laughs> <laughs> and that, folks, is Matspiration. Good on you, mate. Enjoy the rest of the week. Well, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Stick around. A special chat with Eddie Jones. Head-to-head with Eddie Jones' mornings with Matt White. Ramps up after this. We'll do it again. Well, this show in two weeks. See you, Matty. Look forward to it. Listener.